Well, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Justin Garrison. I'm co-author of Cloud Native, Cloud Native Infrastructure and a longtime listener of uh, a couple of your shows and, and other podcasts. So I, uh, I thought I'd, you know, jump well, on and nice. talk to you. I think I think we're done talking now. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> so so you worked at uh, you worked at Disney, right? Yeah, I I still work at Disney. I am legally obligated to say that I don't speak on behalf of my company. Uh, yeah, yeah, I still that's, do work that's there. fair. So so uh, uh, you know when I, when I was uh, in a very cool, not creepy way, like looking up information on you, uh, I I noticed that and like like uh, yeah, you're like an IMDb and stuff. But like, what is what does that mean to like as a programmer as a tech person to like work on a movie like what a what do you do i i used to tell people that my job was to work literally in a basement uh work on some cool technology and once a year we'd dress up and go watch cartoons (laughs) basically how it boiled down to And, and i mean really like especially animated movies are are the last remnant of box software because, uh, I mean, mm. everything about the movie is software. It's all made by software. It's yeah, artists yeah. instead of programmers, but it literally goes into a CD on a shelf and people buy it. And it's like the, the thing That's that true. remains of that industry. And, but, but I mean, like, so what are all the, well, instead of, instead of uh, 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 just asking leading questions, my, from, from hearing other people talk about it, there's a whole lot of custom programming that goes into movie making. Like, like there's building out custom systems and like, you write a lot of your own software, or maybe it's extensions. I don't know, but I remember uh, this. Maybe it's not like this anymore. But I remember finding out a while ago that I was surprised at the amount of like, let's sit down and like write some software uh, that that happens in in making movies. Yeah, it's funny. Like different studios treat software differently. I mean, like Pixar was very much a R and D sort of style, like. Um, environment ed catmull who started it with uh you know steve jobs and john laster like out of ilm like they made this thing as a research r&d arm of ilm making hardware and and Mm. so their ethos was they were technologists and researchers that wanted to make a movie and and disney animation was the kind of the opposite where they were actually like a long time you know almost hundred year artists that embraced technology to be able to tell their stories better and, yeah. and so it's kind of interesting, like just the the cultures in both are a little bit influenced by the history behind them. Um, but in both cases, like uh, John Lasseter used to say that, um, you know, the, the technology does empower the artists and, and artists can do art however they want. But to tell stories in a, in a more modern age to reach, you know, the the people they're trying to reach, you needed software to be able to tell those stories better and really just to enhance what you could do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think through the uh, well, I don't know if it's through the centuries or eons, but at least in my lifetime, there, there's always that that general principle that you have is like the the tools aren't an end to themselves, and in fact, it's like I guess, I guess maybe unless you're you're well, kind of apropos to uh, what we were going to talk about, maybe if you're making tools for tools, <laughs> then, then maybe it's a little bit about the tools. But generally, right, like the reason you you write some software, you make some other tool is to achieve some other end, right? And you don't want to uh, you don't want to get lost down a hole of like this is a really good hammer. It's great at hammering, and, and instead, right. it's good to focus on uh, what you do with it. Yeah, and focus on the end goal, right? I mean, like end of the day, you know animation disney animation was shipping a movie to a movie theater and like that's what mattered and and in disney streaming like we build a platform so people can again enjoy those movies and like if people focus on the technology too much it it's not the product that they want 
Yeah, yeah. Unless it's Kubernetes, right? There's your transition. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, no, exactly. And so, like, I was, uh, what, what was I, what was I, I reading Yell's book? Oh, because it, it was, uh, it was just like in my pile of stuff to read when I was, uh, when when Pivotal like came full on into VMware, and so I think, I think, I think VMware had licensed it or something like that. So you know download that book, uh, which is fun. And, you know, I, w- one of the things uh, when I was reading it that, that it started to get me to think was, um, I've, I'm always, I, despite what I was just saying, I always, I always have a bit of a contrarian in me that, you know, there was this idea of like, uh, I think, I think uh, Bridget used to say this, uh, which was, you know, containers won't fix your broken culture, right? And Kubernetes won't fix your process. And in understanding Kubernetes better through like, you know, reading y'all's book and, and some other ones, like what I realized is that like, well, maybe it won't directly fix your broken culture, but it's certainly going to help. Right. Like in, in the sense of like remove stripping out as much like variability and inefficiency and stuff from your infrastructure is going to like free up your time so that you can focus on fixing your culture. Right. Which, you know, to the point of the original like containers thing, it doesn't mean like you install that. And it's sort of like if you install a, uh, a workout application, it doesn't immediately make you healthy. You have to actually uh, use it. But it, it is like that. That was one of the interesting things, like in especially I think through y'all's book that was interesting is there's more like and, and, I, and I'm interested. In it, I don't know. I want to know if, if this sounds right to you. It seems like the thing you can get with Kubernetes is like here is I don't even know how to phrase it, but here is like the standard of how we do things like it's almost like the one way that we're going to both architect applications and package them and then to to maybe a 60 percent uh thing how we're going to run them right and and i and that seems especially interesting to me because like I don't know, there's like at, at, at any, I'm sure uh, places you have worked are not like this, but at any given organization, there's like 50 to 3000 ways to do all of those, <laughs> which, which seems really inefficient. And I think, I think once that idea popped in my head, then I was, I was, I was more like, oh, I get it. Why people like Kubernetes, like it's, uh, it specifies that. Right. And I mean, the book is really about pulling out some of those patterns right at, at the infrastructure layer because we were specifically focusing on you know how do you manage infrastructure um trying to bring people away from just this like i have a repo full of you know text files to actually like i have running software that manages my infrastructure and in those tools the tools you use definitely do impact your culture i mean look at like the amish right like like their tools impact what they do and how they do it and just their culture and process and and it's a fantastic like view into like just what you can do with that set of tools and then you look at you know modern construction companies building you know high rises and like definitely different processes and different tools being used and if you apply that same sort of view into how you manage infrastructure how you manage applications you know how you communicate between different groups and and what you need to say and and just that general process of like blueprints to skyrise like it changes drastically if you have only you know woodworking tools versus you know bulldozers and cranes and and really like kubernetes kind of 
taught a lot of people that like you should actually run software that manages your infrastructure and and not just a one-time script that you know like terraform apply or or puppets you know run or something like that where it is a just like well whenever the developer feels like doing it is when we actually apply it it's like no no no. yeah software yeah. should continually kind of check this thing and and verify is this the actual state i want yeah 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 you know another another uh uh thought train that was running through my head as I was reading is you y'all have uh y'all discuss developers frequently right like and and but then you're you're very good at like distinguishing between different types of developers right like to put it in my own words application developers and systems developers or platform developers or I definitely had a lot of edits where I tried to say engineer as much as possible (laughs) generic like you know like we're all writing text in a field, you know, like in a, in an editor somewhere, it doesn't matter if that text is, you know, has semicolons at the end of the lines or, you know, white spaces leading it. Like you're writing something to make a computer do something. You're an engineer doing that work and that's fine. Let's not try to like say, Oh, you write bash and you write go like you're the different world. It's like, no, 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 no. Like we're all trying to solve problems with technology and, and let's understand the patterns that help us do that. Yeah, it, exactly. And, and, you know, when I when I was looking back over my my little notes and marginalia before we were talking here, I was thinking, I was I was remembering one of the things I was thinking was uh, that, like I I always I always wonder like what the effect of DevOps as an idea has had on all of this stuff. And for example, just as as it'd be, I'd be I'd be interested to hear after my short monologue here, like like what you know how how you think about DevOps and how you kind of like think it's, think it affects cloud native infrastructure, how it affects operational stuff. And as an example, like, um, you know, there's, there's, there's one, one part, I think where, where y'all are talking, you say like, you know, the people who know how the software should behave and be managed best are the people who wrote the software, right. Are, are, are the developers. And, and, you know, I, I remember thinking like, Hmm, that would be nice. <laughs> which is often the case nowadays and i think i think as an example right i think that's a large part of one of the major things that like i think devops taught a lot of developers is like you should be the person who knows that how it should be running best <laughs> but but I mean, I mean kind of along those areas i mean how much like 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 how do you think devops think has like affected the way we think about software now and like kind of do cloud native things. I mean, I think it did a few things for us, right? Like I think uh, charity often says that, you know, the first wave of DevOps was teaching operators how to code, right? You, you taught all the sysadmins, they should write some software to do the thing that they normally do. And the second wave of DevOps was uh, teaching the application developers how to ops and, and say, okay, now you need to care about some of this stuff because you should control your own infrastructure that your application declares and uses. And it's not, you know, really get rid of that throw it over the wall mentality. And, and if you are going to understand it, you also run it. And how that kind of feeds into cloud native, I think is, is really trying to get the, um, the operators who were starting to learn how to code, give them some better tools to, use software that like they don't have to write everything themselves or right? you can still use off the shelf things to get some in in means done and and so like if i need a load balancer 
I don't have to write the Terraform script to do that, or I don't have to write the, you know, Bodo three, you know, Python to like do that. It's like, oh, actually, you know, I can just use like, if there is hosted Kubernetes somewhere, like there is a way to get that without needing to write all the software myself, because turns out having ops write everything from scratch, like the, you know, not invented here syndrome for ops also exists and, and <laughs> isn't a good thing. You know, you don't want that for your developers. And you also especially don't want that at the layer of your operators because, uh, then you just get into a whole world of like, I can never upgrade from this until I burn <laughs> right. it all down. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I, I got, you know, the, as as an illustration of that, right? Like, uh, uh, I, th I think bringing version control to the operations world was like a uh, a, a major deal, <laughs> right? So <Yeah. clears throat> definitely if you don't, well, you know, I still too frequently encounter at least tales of developers who uh, don't use version control, which is always shocking, but Definitely, you know, you might not even have a statement that if you're not using version control, you're probably not programming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's probably something gone awry there. <clears throat> or programming well. I don't know. Just a general. You're, you're not programming on a team. And that's a big distinction, right? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you yeah. can't do anything individually, but I can do plenty of stuff without version control by myself because I can keep that context in my head. And I know some pretty fantastic developers who, like, they don't share their code. They, you know, it's closed source. They do it themselves. They don't have version control. And they just like, no, no, no. I remember what I did here. And like, wow, like that's amazing. Like, I don't want to keep that context in my head. I, I'll let get Shaw all the files and figure it out for me. Uh, but you know, some people can do that. But once you like say two people need to do this, okay, you probably need to have some better practices around how you're doing that. And uh, yeah, I mean like get, a lot of the people depend on, on Git for a lot of very critical pieces of infrastructure, right? Like, I mean, rollbacks and, and things like that are, are strictly tied to what was the last commit, let's get back to it. And I mean, GitOps is a thing now, right? Like your state of the world is somehow this tag inside your Git repo. And that's how people deploy and run infrastructure. And that's, you know, like if you want to keep your state in Git, like that's fine, understand it and, and you can use it. So, so one of the, uh, well, getting kind of down in the weeds. One of the things that like, I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to sort out what, what, uh, what y'all meant in the book was like the, the way you use the term API and, and like my, my, uh, my sense was that it was a different than like an API as in like, here's the, uh, here's like the, uh, how to look up a zip code API. <laughs> and so, and so like, like what, but, but I, I, I think I understood it correctly. And then once I did, I think it made a lot of sense, you know, particularly on what you were just saying of like, what is, what does it mean for an operations person to be a programmer? But all that said, so like in, in, in the book, what, what do y'all mean by API? I'm trying to remember the exact reference. I mean, this was <laughs> three years ago that we wrote. Oh, come on. Um, it must be fresh. <laughs> what, what, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you like, like here's, here's, and, and tell maybe, maybe if you don't remember, this will uh, become your new idea of what it was, but my impression uh, of, of what an API was, was basically like, um, it's, it's, it's what I would call a, cause I'm, I'm much older. It's what I would call like a schema or a specification or like, uh, like here are, here are the, the names and here are the values they can have. And then to use an, another, hopefully people still use this term, but here's the semantics that they have. Right. And here's the allowed combinations and whatever. Right. And like, and then, especially based on the idea that a lot of the programming that what an operations person does is configuration, <laughs> right? Like, right. like, 
that that idea of an API actually like is pretty it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that is like the operations person API or one of the major ones is like, what configuration can I do? Which, right. Which it's, it's their interface is, is really, uh, if I remember correctly, like what, how you interface with like that thing that you can control and in the backend is going to have imperative, like I need to do step, step, step. But the, the user of that is a declarative thing. So like your, your spec for the declarative, what you can actually declare in your configuration is, um, is the API we were, referring to it's not necessarily http i mean you could you know write this spec and and use it in soap right like you can do some old things with these specs and it's not a new you know idea to have this is what i can take and if if you don't give me this exact specification i'm going to give you an error and i'm going to give that error quickly to let you know that you messed up (laughs) or or you know like for like HTTP codes, right? Like 404s, you know, like you messed up, 503s, I messed up. And, and yeah. you can do that with that interface defined. That's a really good analogy that basically like HTTP is an API. <laughs> in in, in we the have, same... We have verbs and, and what we Yeah, yeah. In, in, in the same sense. I mean, it's it's not necessarily like a, a procedure, a bunch of methods that you call or whatever, but it's, it's, huh. Yeah. There was a lot of time spent in the last 20 years <laughs> trying to explain that, that, well, I'll put a footnote down to rest and be like, you can look that up to understand yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the incredible nuanced conversation around what, what, what all of that means. Well, I mean, as you mentioned, it, it was, it was, uh, some time ago that, uh, that y'all put together that book. Like what, what do, I don't know. What, what do you, how do you think things have evolved so far since then? Are you happy with it? Do you think, uh, do you think cloud native stuff has gone the right way or like what, uh, what, like, are you excited about what happened or do you think it would have gone further or shorter? Like, what do you, uh, what do you think about it? I think it's taking, you know, the, the necessary evolution to kind of get to the state of like, how do we make this easier and, and what really trying to solve people's problems. Right. I mean, originally Kubernetes came out at a time when, you know, there was container sprawl, right? Like we had, Historically, we had machine sprawl. We had too many servers, so we had to make VMs. And then we had VM sprawl. And then we had container sprawl. And it's just about controlling all these things that people want more of. And, mm. and you're never going to really solve that problem. And, and some people are saying, you know, like, serverless is the way to go. And it's like, well, you know, like, function sprawl is definitely a thing, right? Like, like it's, it's not a, a solve of the problem that you're going to have more things to manage. And you need something else to manage it for you. Because that's the point of container schedulers and hypervisors and orchestrators like these all exist because there's too many of them for people to manage anymore yeah and and i do think that's uh i I think we took like the pendulum swinging right like we we went really extreme on everything is is small microservice and like declare it and deploy it because that piece is easy and in pulling that back and actually saying you know what like some things are probably monolith and that's okay and they should be because they they share the same data store or the overhead for managing five things is way more than managing one thing and and really optimizing for what it is that like actually does provide that end state that that business value of a person wants to watch a movie like does anyone care if microservices were behind frozen 2 no like that's they don't it's like it's not a thing and it's just like we care because like the movie was good and, and like if it was a monolith or microservice like it does not matter and and really like i think that pendulum swinging back a little bit to kind of settle in there where we 
we started making more and more systems to help us manage a lot of little things. I mean, service meshes are, are a thing and they add value even in monoliths, but they became more of a, necess- a necessity with lots and t- of tiny little things. And uh, so I think we're pulling some of that back to say like, okay, where is actually the middle here of, of this is not too hard for people to manage, but also not too hard to move it forward and, and advance it or rewrite it. Um, so we need to find that middle grounds. And I think some things are getting there. I think using the workflows and abstractions that kind of uh, Docker made to say like you package a, a binary, basically you ship that binary up to something that can be you know distributed and scaled. And then you run that binary without mutation and without you know modifying it and and you use the same one between environments you don't keep rebuilding it because that introduces more problems so really making that piece of it safe and just making as much as possible like what's the bare minimum of what we have to provide to make you know developer write software and i need that running a thousand times like how do i make the minimal steps between that and in the end state yeah i mean you 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 raise a uh what an, another interesting like uh, thought train, which is like, so like, like you're saying, I, I, I like the framing that you had. People don't really say sprawl very much anymore, but like you're making <laughs> me remember that like three, four years ago, like sprawl was like the, uh, you know, the big enemy, right? Like yep. er, so many things were against like sprawl, uh, but which that's a fun word. There was money to contain it, right? I mean, like startups came up because you had VM sprawl and every CTO said, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we want more control over this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as always, right? right? Like like IT people want control over this stuff and which, which I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, I think maybe nowadays people understand about computers that they're really hard to control. <laughs> <laughs> they, they get out of hand fast. Anyways, but like it seems like at some point, uh, well, it's right there in the name, cloud native and specifically Kubernetes was almost like built for a specific type of application, a cloud native application. And, you know, whatever that means is like always an ongoing uh, fun conversation. But I get the sense that, you know, you're making me think that like maybe sometime in the future, it's just sort of like a general purpose chunk of infrastructure for running anything. But I don't know, does that, would that be the wrong direction if like, now we're going to install like SAP from five years ago to run, to be managed by Kubernetes. Like, it seems like, it seems like all the primitives are there. Like all the stuff you would need, if you wanted to run like your big ERP system, the way that you ran it in 2004, but just do it with Kubernetes, it seems like it's all there. And I I don't know if, I don't know, is that, would that be good? (laughs) I mean, Engineers are going to try to solve hard problems, whether the business needs it or not. And so, if you, <laughs> right, right. Sure. <laughs> if you give them a hard problem, they will spend as much time as you let them to you know solve that problem and just go. And like that's fine. And I've done some bad things with containers, and and I've done some valuable things with containers. And I've seen some really interesting. You know, there was uh, Windows two thousand in a container that was just like, okay, that's that's a thing. Like. If you wanted to do it, you could. Right. And, and, I mean, to interrupt you. So an example could be uh, like running kiosks in the airports, right? Like I'm, I'm, everyone has seen this by this point where like one of those TVs in an airport breaks down and it's like, you know, on Windows ME or whatever, right? And, and like, I don't know. I would think the way that you manage all those TV screens and airports and kiosks, you could probably do better with like, I don't know, with Kubernetes, but like 
the concepts of it and and like the life like all of the again the primitives and as we were talking earlier the apis like would work well for it i, I don't know I think, I think at this point the best thing that kubernetes has really shown a lot of the industry is just that api spec the how to extend something with custom you know allow something to be flexible enough that someone could say here's my little spec of of what i want throw it in an api and you automatically get all those verbs you get you know plural versions single versions you can show different things it's really fascinating how much you can do without writing any code and i can yeah. I, I can i can get the essence of what i want out of a couple abstractions that i define and and kubernetes is moving that direction where they say you know what like all these controllers being part of core like maybe doesn't make sense right we can pull out a a deployments and a cron job and uh, you know the only thing they really needed was a pod for like a replication controller or something everything else is you know a, an ex- extension of that api and so the api spec is really fascinating just to see using that in other places and and you don't have to do it necessarily in kubernetes you can take that api spec and and run with it and build other software with it and and i think that's really interesting because uh, you can do so much more and not be tied to this Kubernetes thing. You can say, okay, mm. I mean, REST, you know, had d- definitions of like, you make the plural version do this thing, you make the singular right. version have the other thing. Like, like that was the idea behind REST and, and Kubernetes kind of put that for operators and put that for you know, like, how do I do infrastructure with that? And, and granted, it, it grew enough to make that useful for some people to understand it and to use it. Um, some people less successfully and some people don't need it, right? Like, like don't use it if, if you don't have a container sprawl problem or, you know, like there are plenty of reasons not to use that. But as a, as a API spec, I think the spec of what Kubernetes is, is forming for the API will outlive the Kubernetes like software itself as far as like, this is the version you should run. Like hosted Kubernetes will live for a long time, but I think that spec can evolve for other tooling mm-hmm. and, and make it more useful to say, oh, look, they define this whole thing over here. I can just reuse a bunch of that. And then people, it's really familiar for people uh, because they're used to it in, in whatever reason. And like REST is, is good at that. If you follow REST guidelines, I can go from you know one company's API to the next company's API. I understand what their you know, nouns are and I can just, I can develop something without looking at the documentation. And I think that's really beneficial for cloud providers and for managing infrastructure in general. And I can say, well, I need a load balancer. Do I care if I'm in AWS or I have an F5 or something? Like, no, because it's called a load balancer. And I can say, give me one. And some controller does the work. And so I think that's really interesting just to be able to abstract away a lot of that stuff and just rely on the API and the, the abstractions there to say, okay, this is actually what I need. Someone else can, you know, put that in their environment and make it work. If you're in a cloud pro- provider, great. They did it for you. If you're not, like you got a lot of work ahead of you to do it on-prem, but the user of that system doesn't have to care. And and that's really kind of one of those goals of making that middle ground abstraction. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes, yeah. I, I mean, exactly. It's like like scurrying around in there among many other things is sort of like there is, uh, I can't even like figure out the word in my head, but there's this uh, uh, worldview of infrastructure <laughs> that that is like latent in Kubernetes thinking, right? Like here, here are, you know, like, here, here are the uh, uh, the components of an application. Here's like a networking thing. Here's like the things you would do with a network. It just like specifies, as you were saying earlier, the interface for all this infrastructure. 
right? And it's almost like this is this is a worldview of how how computers work, <laughs> at, le- at, le- at least at the um, at the high level. Like, I don't know if it has anything to say about like you know chips <laughs> necessarily, right. but you know how it works at the server level, which which I think you know, th- and that, that I've also been curious to sort of see in, in the, the oncoming years, assuming everything is dandy as far as like, you know, Kubernetes being a, a way of doing cloud native stuff. Like I, I always feel like I haven't, I haven't observed enough sort of, I'm trying to use a non-judgmental word. I was going to say classic or regular, but you know, just operations people. Like I, I'm never really sure what their reaction to and like what they want to do with Kubernetes is and like, you know, I don't think they've had too much exposure to that because they're busy, you know, running that ERP system <laughs> and doing other things. So it'll, it'll be it'll be fun. Like once we add like those, you know, all those people in there as well to see what what comes of that, because I think I think, you know, like you were saying. And this is this is true. Again, the, the analogy of HTTP is really good is like, I mean, obviously the web still exists, but a lot of the concepts of it have gone far beyond the web right? Like the way of thinking about rest and everything is like, has really in a good way infected and mutated and improved the way we uh, think about programming as, as a whole. Well, so what have you been doing since then? I mean, you work at Disney, you're uh, making sure Frozen 2 gets out, all these kinds of things. But like, uh, like what, what, what are the things you're most interested in nowadays? I mean, I still, I love using the spec and teaching people how to kind of extend it and, and make it their, you know, like, understand the concepts i really enjoy that and really just like again if you don't need all this stuff like don't do it like I've, I've done it for a couple of years and and just you know i i did it to learn it i did it in my own time a lot of times you know, like i had home labs and, and i was trying to figure out like how to do it and bare metal and what the cloud providers were doing and, and it was really interesting but for me i love just like teaching people and helping them like hey do you really need all of this stuff or can you get by with a container or could you get by with you know like a lambda or something like like understand what the person's trying to do um and even when you don't need kubernetes right like if you want to use um you know cloud run or or hey like i keep telling people use heroku right like heroku is amazing you the workflow you get from heroku is fantastic yeah you get scalability you get all these other resources and guess what you're using kubernetes like you're using kubernetes the way it was supposed to be used like like under the hood heroku right, right. runs kubernetes and like that's the experience everyone's trying to build but they want to build it themselves and really like if you want to just like skip to expert level use heroku and like it'll it'll make you feel like it's too easy, but at the same time, it's like no, like that's the goal. Like that's what people are trying to do. And so I, I keep trying to push people towards like not focusing on the technology too much. Of of like oh, I need this version of this thing. Like it's important. It it drives the business forward. It solves the problems. Uh, but really taking a step back and saying like okay, how do we solve this in in the best way possible? I mean, I know people that like tried to put you know they wanted to monitor all their containers. So they were putting SNMP inside the containers. I'm like, whoa, mm. like that sounds like a bad recipe. Like, is that where you want to go? I'm like, well, I understand SNMP. I'm like, nobody understands SNMP. So let's take a step back yeah. and, and start there. But like that was, you know, all of their other monitoring tools relied on that. And I'm like, okay, well, let's let's figure out like how we do this in a new sort of way, how we make this not like dot annotation of like some spec, but actually an HTTP health you know, check or, or something else that is a little more scalable and a little more modern and, and level up people to say like, okay, let's, let's, let's move this forward just a little bit to make it, you know, 
easier for you in the long run, you're going to have to learn some things. You're going to have to change some old systems. Uh, but, you know, this is how it's always been done is not a strategy. Man, there's at least got to be a bridge that converts stuff to SNMP. <laughs> not, not in the container, just like some separate thing. Some, I, I don't know what a sidecar for a sidecar is, but like a sidecar to the cluster. Like it's there own... definitely is. Like um, <laughs> Prometheus and Telegraph, they have SNMP bridges that Oof. will do push metrics or present that as an HTTP endpoint. And people use it. And it's kind of scary sometimes. But yeah, yeah. people are in data centers. They have PDUs and, and you know battery things. Like all these things require measurements and they don't yeah. have HTTP. And if they have HTTP, it's probably been hacked <laughs> yeah 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 mm, that's good stuff well i mean si- since since you listen to some of the podcasts you do you know you know i'm always off on this point of like kubernetes isn't for developers but it seems like developers are the ones who care most about it <laughs> right like like there's there's a lot of interest in it uh from developers it seems like and and you know it's always fun to have a paradox like that a paradox of, of thinking but i think more genuinely like what and 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 you reminded me of this because you brought up Heroku, right? Like, which which I agree with what you said. It's like I think that's what we're all shooting for, and it's always baffling why it's not more widely used. But it's expensive, yeah. right? Like people yeah, look yeah, at yeah. it and they say the dollar amount is too expensive, but then they say I'm going to go spend six months on this thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, wait, like let's look at your salary. Let's look yeah. at everyone else. Let's look at hardware, and then let's actually evaluate. This. Yeah, and and then you know, obviously, for me working at Pivotal and VMware. That's fine with me, right? Like that, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, since we more or less, you know, in, in, in ways would compete with Heroku being like incredibly successful. But anyways, so what, how do you think about like where, an, if someone's not using Heroku, like where does an application developer sort of like stop caring about Kubernetes? Like what, what should they be doing? What do they need to know about it and actually like code or not like, when should they calm down about it? When should they be interested in it? Like, what do you advise people? Or what do you think you theorize about there? My, my guess is developers like Kubernetes because it lets them do their job faster. Developers will unblock themselves no matter what. Like, if, you're, if your API is an email or a Jira queue, like, that's going to move too slow for a developer to get their job done. And so yeah. they're going to want to figure out a way to make it easier for them to do their job and take you out of the loop. And so (laughs) developers love Kubernetes because it lets them take all those roadblocks of operators out of the loop. And they can say, I don't need to put in a Jira ticket. This is self-service. Like that's literally what, you know, like AWS did at the beginning, right? Like there was, you know, credit cards that were charged for accounts that like ran businesses for years. And that was like, they had to be unblocked because they couldn't go through purchase orders and, you know, months of, of red tape for like, I'm sorry, I can't get your, you know, your server up because I'm out of ports on my switch. Yeah. And like, that's, <laughs> that's not a good workflow for a developer to enable them to build, you know, give business, you know, give value to the business. And so unblocking them is really where they want to be and how you can unblock them the most is, you know, make them not worry about the Kubernetes fundamentals, the pieces of it don't necessarily build all of Heroku yourself because there are tools that like let you do some of that and don't think you need to replace the existing thing with a fully featured new thing. Like you're never going to get there. You're not going to bring all those abstractions over. You're not going to build the same thing because you're going to spend forever adding new features to it. And so really give them, you know, minimal viable products for what do you actually need to do? If it's just, I need to run a container, 
I need to run, you know, this application code package somehow. Like if you are in a cloud environment, like look at what's available, right? Like look at Fargate, look at cloud run, look at, you know, like these things exist that are just give me a container and then write the minimal amount of like spec to route things to it. Mm. If you are on-prem, like look at whatever it is that will give you that amount of like, like as the operator has to obviously do some work because they're going to rack a server, they're going to install an OS, they're going to do something there. Um, but if the if if the answer is you know like something as simplistic, I know Rancher like is is very simplistic. If you're on the edge like K3S like from Rancher is like you, you can do those things and manage those kiosks and airports in a way that's like allows them to install the minimal things without, okay, like maybe it's not highly available. Maybe it doesn't have like feature X, Y, and Z. Can the developer be unblocked in one area and move forward? And then you can keep adding enhancements to that. As soon as the developer says I'm blocked here now, okay, let's figure out what the next thing we need to do is and, and really work with them alongside them and like, you know, try not to try to stay away from the Jira queues and the emails to say, okay, I'm going to let this sit in a Jira queue until my next sprint or two sprints from now or whatever. And, and we'll get to it eventually. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good framing of, of like, and I, I mean, it's good because it's effective at all times, <laughs> which is like, you know, if you're find things that you're spending a lot of time on that like, aren't really what the point of your work should be, right? Like, like, you know, filling out a ticket or waiting for the ticket, like they're just sitting around and waiting for stuff doesn't make sense. So Maybe it totally makes sense. I mean, to use another analogy, right? Like maybe you should write a parser, right? Like if, if what you're doing is consuming some like text or data that's really weird and unique and like you're going to do something with it, then you got to write a parser to, to like do that. But chances are you shouldn't write a parser. Like that's just like not, not a good use of your time. <laughs> and so, you know, a, a lot of infra- cloudy infrastructure stuff is like that. It's like you could spend a lot of time like learning this and customizing it and knowing how these things work, but like, make sure you're actually going to do something with it. Like if all you end up with, to use the analogy, if you just end up with Heroku, you probably did something wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can spend infinite time learning this stuff. I mean, there's always a new tool. There's always something else that's coming out and a new way to use it. And really don't try to focus on rebuilding the past and like shoving that in this new tool, like figure out what it is that actually adds value and, and how to make it self-service. And that's yeah. really how, like in the book, there's a couple of chapters about like, business value and and really the business value of anything cloud is is it's self-service it's scalable enough to start things not infinitely scalable uh and then it's you know like like you can just run with this thing without requiring those jira queues like i don't to get an ec2 instance from amazon i don't open a jira ticket right like I, yeah. I have my key and I call it API. Like if there was Jira tickets for the cloud, like it wouldn't have never taken off. Like it was just like, well, why, why would I use that thing? Like, no, no, no. Like the self-service piece of it and, and being able to just like create what I need to try things and iterate in that like feedback loop is super critical to help people learn and actually like build things that they, whether they, they're going to use it or not, right? Like experiments is, is a big part of development. Yeah. All right. Well, I always like to end these, uh, these, these, episodes with a recommendation you know like we do on the uh the, the show when it's the three of us what do you have a recommendation for people if you need time to think i'll think of one but like uh you know it can be you know how it goes anything what what, what do you have to recommend to people um i've been pushing i mean like kubernetes is the thing that you know so many people are trying to use and and writing yaml everyone complains about and i i get it like it's not it's not the end goal um 
I feel the same way about, you know, writing Terraform and writing, like, there's a lot of things, like, I can write HCL and then do Terraform apply, like, I, I think the CDK sort of style, like, write code, real code that does the thing for you is interesting. Uh, I think it's helping developers adopt more infrastructure stuff because they say, oh, well, I can just stay in my language. And, mm. and really what they mean by that is like, my IDE does half the work for me, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. In, in, in writing YAML, like there are some helpers that allow you to say, okay, well, I can span that Kubernetes object and, and make it a thing. But really like, I can just loop through this in, in Python or in Java. And, and if, you know, the, the developer's using, whatever IDE, like it's going to do a lot of that work for them and they can just tab complete and write their infrastructure, like tab complete their infrastructure is like a thing that they can do and they want to do. And so I feel like um, CDK, Pulumi, uh, these next level of like languages that boil down to something uh, under the cover, it's, it's really just making Terraform or CloudFormation or something like that. But I think it's really fascinating for operators to also look at it and understand why it's valuable because operators don't have the coding background necessarily. They don't want to write the code. They want to write the spec. They want to write the data representation yeah. of a thing, uh, but they're not meeting customers where they're at. And so being able to take a good look at it and say, if I was a developer, what would I want to do? And it's not, you know, no one wanted to write puppet code. Like this weird JSON DSL, like was never something like, oh, we'll just learn puppet and then you can do the thing. Like every developer said nope right away. And, and that wasn't a, <laughs> any value add to the business. And so, I, my recommendation would be have operators look at some of the, the language as infrastructure, the CDKs and, and um, you know, something that's more above, more than just the raw YAML and HCL and understand where there's value there. Cause I think there's a lot of tooling that you can also add to say, okay, well you can give me your 10 lines of Python and I'll extend, expand that into what I actually need for YAML yeah. for my translation into Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's actually a good a good a good way of thinking about it. Is like you know, developers just want their IDE to support it, <laughs> right? Like, which I think I think is totally true. Which means uh, if you want to think of it as a, a DSL or whatever, like you know, having something that kind of makes it brief, or just writing some IDE integrations, that would be good too. <laughs> yeah, that that would be good. Well, great. Well, uh, thanks for making the time to be on. I, I uh, you know, I, I enjoyed reading Elle's book. It's good to uh, kind of ask a few questions on it and uh, get your thoughts on what's happened since then. So that was fun. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, uh, we'll see everyone next time, as I always like to say.